1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Got a great interview lined up for you today and I'm excited. I'm excited to bring it to you. But before we get to that, I just want to thank you first of all for listening to this podcast and hopefully subscribing either to the Lions of Liberty network feed where you get all three shows that we have here. On our, uh, on our network on Monday, Mark Clare's show on Wednesday, Brian McWilliams and his new show, Mean Age Daydream. Check that out. And of course, this show every Thursday. But there's also another way to listen. Um, if you want to just get my exclusive Finding Freedom feed, uh, you can find that anywhere podcasts are found just by searching Finding Freedom. John Odermatt, and it'll come up uh, pretty much anywhere if you put in uh, the show and and my name. A uh, quick note on today's guest: Uh, we didn't kind of jumped right into uh, to talking about uh, the topic of the day, which is the um, ESPN E60 the Paterno legacy um, segment that they did. And if you don't know John Ziegler, if you haven't listened to him interviewed on this show before, or his own podcast, or all the other content he's put out there about this Sandusky, Penn State, Paterno scandal, then uh, you might be a little thrown off by how we uh, sort of throughout the the interview we're very cavalier in in how we're stating that. You know the case against Sandusky and especially against Paterno is patently absurd and there's zero evidence supporting any of it. It's because there's not. And uh, there's a lot to back this up. I've had John Ziegler on my show, I think five or six times. You can just go to Google or your favorite search engine and type in John Ziegler, Lions of Liberty. Those episodes will come up. Um, Also, John, as we talk about during uh, this podcast, he has a uh, a podcast series called "With the Benefit of Hindsight" that totally debunks and exposes the false narrative around this case. I just wanted to put this out there in the front. I know we get new listeners. I know we get people who haven't been exposed to you know all of the three hundred twenty plus interviews that I've done. You, now you know, and you can go back and you can listen to more content, and you can be educated about one of the greatest injustices that I've ever seen and probably um, the has ever occurred in the United States of America, to be honest with you. Just the size and scope of this injustice and, and the far-reaching impacts uh, throughout the country and throughout our culture are just, uh, just incredible. So that's enough. Talk about the uh, interview. Let's actually listen to it. Let's go. All right. We are live. I'm joined by John Ziegler. Uh, for those of you who have been Fans or watching my podcast for for years. Um, he was uh, first on, I think, episode eight of uh, of the show, and was called uh, Felony Friday. And he's been on several times since then. And uh, for those of you familiar with his work, of course, he has completely dissected and and torn apart the uh, Penn State Paterno Sandusky. Uh, narrative that basically is accepted by, by everyone. Um, and I think even John's critics would admit that he has the most amount of knowledge and has spent the most amount of time digging into this case. So, uh, John Ziegler, welcome back to the show.
0: John, always good to talk to you.
1: The reason, John, I, I wanted to have you back, and it's, it's been a couple times since, I think you were on like a, a year or so ago, where I guess it was right before... Um, you kicked off the with the benefit of of hindsight podcast. So, so when did that when did that start to air? That would have been almost exactly a year ago. Okay, so again, yeah, I guess we talked about a year ago, and there were a couple of times I was going to reach back out after that to, to do a follow up, but um, just timing wise, I'm glad I waited because I think uh, I think this lines up pretty well. And with ESPN, you know, releasing last night, so we're recording on Tuesday, the uh, the 29th or the 19th. And ESPN released their E60, uh, the Paterno legacy, um, segment. And, and I mean, for, from my perspective, it was kind of interesting. I, I was just telling John this a minute ago before we started that for so long, you know, I've been following John's work and it's, it's the, you know, with the benefit of hindsight podcast, um, well, it does pull off that, um, infamous or, or famous, uh, Joe Paterno quote when he, uh, Offers his resignation and says, "With the benefit of hindsight, I, I wish I had done more. Um, I really haven't thought about this scandal a lot from the Paterno angle, just because there's been so much with you know John with you shredding apart the the, San- the evidence that is uh, against Sand- Sandusky, which is really once you start digging into it, there's there's not really anything there. But it was interesting to look back and really just see it." I'd forgotten how quickly everything moved. I mean, he is relieved of his head coaching duties by the, by the phone call, by the uh, head of the board of trustees. That's in November. By January, he's dead. A few months later, Jerry Sandusky is convicted. Was it a, a month or a couple months after that? There's the free report that comes out that throws all the Penn State officials under the bus. So it w- it was interesting to go back and and see that John just uh I know you you said you watched some of the uh um ESPN piece and obviously you're talking to all the a lot of people who were interviewed what were your thoughts on it well
0: before we get to the ESPN piece what you just said there John maybe inadvertently is really the key to understanding the whole case and what makes this story so unique because there's two tracks to the story two basic tracks there's the Paterno track, which I would include Penn State supposed cover-up in. And there's the Sandusky track. And I believe that politically, the, re- the main reason, there are many reasons, but the main reason why Jerry Sandusky never got even anything remotely close to a fair trial is because everybody was distracted by the first track the track Mm -hmm. that ESPN focused on, which was the Paterno track. And those two elements of the story could not be more linked together. There's a symbiotic relationship between the railroading of Sandusky to the railroading of Paterno to the further railroading of Sandusky and then the railroading of the administrators. It is all linked together. And it's all based on a fallacy. And the fallacy is that Jerry Sandusky is a pedophile Mm -hmm. because of the paternal and administrator angle in November, 2011, we forgot all about the most important part of the case, which is, is Jerry Sandusky actually a child molester? We just bypassed that. We just accepted that. You know, I was one of those that did that just Mm -hmm. accepted that that was true. And everyone immediately rushed to wait a minute. What did Paterno know? What what, what did he do? Did he do the right thing? Was there a cover-up? This sounds insane. And and, um, and it's not just a theoretical thing, John. You'll know this as a Penn State guy. Who are all of Jerry Sandusky's biggest supporters? They're all also at least fans of, if not friends with, Joe Paterno and the Paterno family. So Mm. as, as soon as that divide is created... I mean, I've said often that this case really verifies, validates the the famous Ben Franklin Revolutionary War, quote, we shall all hang together or we shall surely hang separately. (laughs) That's what happened here. Because everyone Mm -hmm. separated, including the administrators, and they got hung on their own. If they had all realized they were on the same team, I believe they could have easily survived this. But it was, the, it was the focus on Paterno, which, be, to be clear, happened almost entirely because of ESPN. That's the inherent conflict of interest of this ESPN, the Paterno legacy. It's mm-hmm. almost like O.J. Simpson doing a documentary on the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. I mean, I mean, they're the ones that did this. They, so, yeah. so, and now they're they're ten years later. They're examining it, and they're examining it, John. Very much to to allude to what I just said about how this case really breaks down. They're allu- they're really looking at it as very much like a five year old investigating how Christmas gifts get underneath the Christmas tree. That that that's that's really the best uh, analogy I can come up with. If, if you had a group of five year olds and you said, okay, you. You need to do an investigation. There's this mystery. How is it that toys get underneath the Christmas tree? Uh, and I need you to do an investigation. And 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 your source material can be you know all the Christmas specials. Uh, and 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 what's the chances, John, uh, of those five-year-olds coming up with anything remotely close to the truth? It's it's zero because one, they don't even have access to the truth, mm-hmm. and two, they're deeply, deeply, deeply invested. In yeah. a, a current narrative that fits their self-interest, so they're not even going to look beyond their blinders, and and that's what ESPN is. So that's that's a that's a very long preface to to um, the ESPN thing. Now now to answer your question more directly, I think the most relevant thing to talk about here is my experience with the guy who produced and reported this, a guy by the name of John Barr. Now John Barr is basically a third stringer has been a third stringer investigative reporter at espn um it's interesting that don van Natta, who was always their first stringer took a crack at this story many years ago and and got his hands burned because he went after mcquery he had mcquery dead to rights for a feature in the espn the magazine told me which is on tape you can find it at youtube it's an amazing Mind-blowing audio interview I have with Don Van where he acknowledges all of this, brags about it to me, and mm-hmm. then it's clear that ESPN cut his nuts off, and uh, and he's never reported on the story again. So now uh, here comes John Barr, and my first interaction with John Barr occurred a couple of years ago when I, I invited him on my podcast to talk about his Larry Nasser book. Now Larry Nasser the U.S. Gymnastics, Michigan State doctor who Mm -hmm. uh, was guilty, convicted of many, many counts of abusing his patients. I believe him to be 100% guilty. I believe there to be- He admitted his guilt, right? Well, yeah, unlike the Sandusky case, (laughs) there's a a confession, there's a plea, there's actual evidence, there's pornography, there's logic Mm -hmm. to the case. Now, I have some questions about how it happened, and you know that are on the periphery, but um, he had written a book, and, it, and the title of the book is is interesting. A Barr's book, I believe the title is "Start with Believing." Now um, that I believe Nasser to be completely guilty, but that's a very dangerous mm-hmm. title of the book, right? I mean, start with believing that, that. I mean, that no, you start with you start with evidence, mm-hmm. and and then you believe whatever it is that the evidence lead you to believe, but you don't start with believing. So, but the reason why I asked him on my podcast and he accepted the invitation was, as you know, I'm always looking for even the slightest opening for someone to open their minds about the Sandusky case. And I thought, okay, here's a guy with total street cred on the sex abuse issue. He's written a book about the Larry Nassar case, right? But Malcolm Gladwell, as you probably remember, in talking to strangers on my advice, had written about how the Nasser case raises a lot of very legitimate questions about the Sandusky case, which we just alluded to. In other words, I really believe that the Nasser case is one of the easiest ways to convince people that, wait a minute, what we were told about Sandusky can't possibly be true because all the things that we should have seen in Sandusky, we see in Nasser. And and nothing in reverse or almost nothing in reverse. And so that was my intention. My intention was to interview him about the Nasser book and to sprinkle in, hey, don't you find it odd that this wasn't in the Sandowski case? Now it's always a long shot, but I'm you know all about taking long shots. Mm-hmm. Well, he had 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 accepted the invitation and then he messaged me out of the blue like right before. Uh, that he wasn't going to do it. And I I presumed, you know, Occam's razor, that he had investigated me and saw that I was seen as a Sandusky supporter and that therefore uh, this was too dangerous or whatever. I don't don't know how deeply he got into it, but it was obvious to me he he was not being transparent in why he bailed. And at that point, I pretty much knew, okay, this guy's at best a coward and maybe a moron. Um, and so then I never gave much thought after that until several months ago, I learned about this effort ESPN was making, and I learned about it through Graham Spanier, former president of Penn State, and Gary Schultz, former vice president of Penn State, both of whom were accused of... Of a alleged cover up, and eventually went to pr- jail for a couple of months for things that didn't even happen. Completely ridiculous. For, mi- but for misdemeanors. To they they, right, yeah, for they misdemeanors. To, uh,
1: or Graham right. didn't plead. Graham was convicted of a misdemeanor. Yeah,
0: right. A, of of one misdemeanor. No records. No, I nothing. Mean, for mm-hmm. this is the only guys that have ever gone to jail for anything close to this. Probably in the history of modern history of the country. And I've gotten to know both of them well. I we have ex- we have four. Uh, we have, I think we have a combined nine or 10 hours of interviews with these two guys, uh, on our podcast with the benefit of hindsight, you can, by the way, yeah. all of it's totally transparent. You can find it all at my website, framingpaterno.com Every, every minute of it, no edits, no nothing. Cause i I'm totally believe in transparency. Anyway, I, I just, let me, let me, add
1: a plug there for you, John, because I mean, l- definitely listen to the, the whole podcast, whole series with the benefit of hindsight, but those two interviews, well, um, actually, th- those two interviews, I, I think might have been the last three you did, Spanier, Schultz, and then the one with uh, Sandusky's adopted son and his wife. I think were are three of the most powerful ones. So definitely people I, should listen to those.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I, if you listen to the whole Graham Spanier interview, the two Gary Schultz interviews done over several years, period of time, and the interview with EJ Sandusky and his wife, and you don't believe that at the very least, Jerry Sandusky is very likely innocent, Mm -hmm. then I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Uh, And Gary Schultz knows it. Spanier knows it. He just won't say it as as declaratively as Schultz. But anyway, both of them, I've gotten to know them exceedingly well, and they said that they had done interviews with Barr and that they thought they had gone very, very well. Now, I was skeptical at that time, and I was also a bit ticked off because – and, and and this would actually lead to an email exchange I had with Spaniard today. Uh, I was a bit ticked off because they, they didn't tell me this was happening. This is, this is a constant theme in all this. I mean, here I am a tremendous resource on how to deal with these jackasses in the media on this case. And no one ever takes me up on, on my advice. And even when they I do give it, they never take it. But in this case, they didn't ask for my advice, which I think I could have been very, very helpful. In fact, as I've already alluded to Graham acknowledges this because Graham is very upset with how his interview with John Barr uh, was portrayed. And he was basically schnookered. I mean, he was schnookered. He, he admits that he was hoodwinked uh, by John Barr. Uh, John Barr gave him the impression that he was on uh, Graham's side and that this was going to be a look at the other side of the case and uh, they were going to be totally fair. And, and I think Gary Schultz thought the same thing. And, Based upon that, John, I went to Jerry Sandusky and I said, look, John Bart, ESPN is doing this thing. Um, I know you're not going to want to do an interview with him, but I don't think you have anything to lose. Spanier and Schultz say he's being fair. I don't believe that that's what's going to happen, especially with regard to you. But there's nothing to lose here. And then I gave him very, very specific instructions which much to my surprise, it appears as if he actually took, which he's never done before. Uh, I gave him very, very specific instructions on how to deal with a taped interview. Cause that's the inherent disadvantage that Graham didn't know how to deal with. And, and I don't think Gary did either, which is you, you take ESPN tapes a two hour interview with you. And then they take at most 90 seconds of it and whatever snippets they want to turn mm-hmm. it into their narrative. And in a case this complicated, they're always going to be able to take something, uh, you know, that that portrays a a reality that's at least slightly different than what you wanted and fits their view of the world, their narrative, their Christmas story, if you will. And so, um, I, I was very skeptical that this thing was ever going to turn out to be a positive. Uh, but I have to say that it probably just <laughs> seems to be a continuing theme in the 10 years of this nightmare. I had very low expectations and they were not met. <laughs> so.
1: Hey, let's take a quick break in the show. I want to tell you all about an awesome company uh, run by like-minded people, people who love liberty and care about these ideas. It's called Paloma Verde CBD. Um, It is run by a couple out of San Antonio, Texas. If you're someone who uses CBD to relax, to sleep, for joint pain, muscle pain, all those different things, they have what you need. Um, You can find your your full spectrum tinctures. You can find flavored, unflavored, massage oil, bath bombs, gummies, uh, CBD Solve to help to fight inflammation and joint pain and stuff like that. A a menthol sports cream and even dog chews for your uh, four-legged friends. So please, if you haven't already, check out Paloma Verde CBD. All you have to do, go to their website, palomaverdecbd.com and put in Roar at checkout for 20% off your order, guys. Uh, You can't beat this deal. Head over to Paloma Verde CBD and get some good products, feel better, be healthier, and enjoy life. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting you bring up Jerry taking your coaching because uh, as as I watched it last night, he did, and to kind of go off what you were saying at the beginning, with really the only way to vindicate Joe Paterno is for people to see, you know, that that Jerry did not commit these crimes and jerry said that he said the only way to exonerate joe is for me to be exonerated and i'm innocent i was surprised they they even they put that out there that that they published that where do you think you got
0: that where where do you think you got that line john
1: sounded like something you would you would tell him to say
0: (laughs) and he actually said it and espn Mm -hmm. used it i i was quite shocked i mean uh good kudos to jerry to finally if, if if I had been around during the Bob Costas interview, I think things would have been a lot, a lot different. Um, and by the way, I've I've been in touch with Costas about his role in this uh, ESPN thing uh, as well. But um, yeah, ironically enough, I I think that Jerry probably moved the they didn't move the ball much, but I think Jerry probably did better than almost anybody else uh, on on the good side uh, of this story. Um, and it, it's a shame. Ironically I, enough, I think it's probably because the interview with Jerry was only a half hour long because that's all they could do in in a prison telephone interview. And so, therefore, there's less t- to take out of context. And mm-hmm. I kept telling Jerry they're only going to have thirty minutes. If you constantly say you're innocent, they're going to have to use you saying you're innocent. <laughs> there's no there's no way to cut around it. So. Um, you know, unfortunately, when when Graham and Gary are doing two-hour interviews, uh, you know they they let their guard down. I'm sure numerous times, and they say things that make it sound like they still don't think they did enough, which was the theme of of their responses. Which I, and John, I think you'll appreciate and and won't have any problem believing this. But I sent Graham an email afterwards, basically berating might be too strong a word, but I was. Very ticked off with him about, and I said, "Look, it is. I'm done with this this BS narrative that you guys rely on. That you didn't do enough. That, that they didn't that didn't work ten years ago. It's not going to work now. The the only way out of this is Jerry is innocent. That's why we're innocent.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we, just, I mean, we, just to just to talk about that for a minute for people not familiar with this case, and maybe Graham and Gary said this, and, and it wasn't it wasn't. Aired, but yeah, it certainly came across that they were saying they wish they had done more. Um, to, to go off that Joe Paterno quote again, and in, in, in your podcast name, but I think they would both agree that at the time, and I think they said this in the interviews with you, at the time they didn't think they were talking about anything, any sort of sexual crime or anything like that. They thought it was just, you know, Jerry Sandusky being in the shower with a uh with a boy and they didn't want that to happen anymore. I mean, that's essentially what they were trying to do.
0: Right. That's the inherent problem of the case is that what they were actually dealing with is, is an apple and, uh, and what people think they were dealing with is an orangutan. I mean, basically, Mm -hmm. I mean, those, those are the, the two very stark differences. And unfortunately, you know, Graham does not have the gumption to come out and and make it very clear <laughs> that that's the case. They've, they've been they're still. I really think it goes back. I mean, this is how powerful Joe Paterno was in everyone's lives. Everyone took the same tack that Joe Paterno did back in November two thousand eleven, which was the I wish I had done more. Uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, they they thought and then, and by the way that was all Scott Paterno who's a freaking moron uh, his who was
1: not included he, in the, uh, in the yeah. ESPN thing right. it was all, it was it, all Jay but
0: uh. well yeah, it should have been all Jay from the beginning because uh, Jay knows that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. he just doesn't have the balls to say it Scott shows so stupid and, and egotistical he doesn't have the courage to admit that he was wrong when he came up with his original. This is so important, and we go into this in great detail in my podcast with the benefit of hindsight. The, the, it is so important to understand that the PR strategy of Scott Paterno here was to throw Jerry Sandusky under the bus as far as possible and try to thread that needle. And it was not a needle that was threadable under those circumstances. In a rational world, it could have worked. Uh, you know, you, you throw Jerry as much under the bus as possible, um, and and you say, "Look, uh, we, we did the best we could, and it's it's horrible what happened here, but it's not our fault." But but the exp- the nuclear explosion was so large on Sandusky, and you know, partially because Scott doesn't allow any defense of Jerry at all. Jerry, the guardrails come off. They, they come off of what Jerry is capable of as this magic pedophile. And effectively, Jerry Sandusky becomes the coronavirus, where he is capable of anything. I mean, so then that, that comes back to haunt the Paternos years later when we get these cockamamie insane stories mm-hmm. from the 1970s. Where these frauds come forward, and because they're outside the statute of limitations, and the only way they're going to get money from Penn State is if they claim that they told Joe Paterno something, and Paterno is dead and can't contradict them. So, so these cockamamie stories that they told Joe Paterno in 1971 and 1976 that Jerry Sandusky had sexually abused them, and Joe told them to go pound sand, they got believed because because everyone was now na- there was no guardrail, there were no guardrails. On what Jerry Zandusky was capable of, he became magic. Yeah. And, and Kappa
1: uh, Kaka-Mabe, story is putting it lightly. The one story was that Jerry essentially picked up a hitchhiker and violently raped him, which doesn't even align with anything you know they they presented with with the trial with it being uh, grooming. Uh, He's yeah, on, not, not go, a. Can, <laughs> I go, <laughs> can I go in? I,
0: I know this is an aside, but can can, can we, it's, it's worth it just to give, sure, give you yeah. two, minute, yeah, two yeah, minutes? two minutes on that story because it's <laughs> unbelievable. So, so we're to believe that at the beginning of Jerry Sadowski's pedophile career, right, when you would think he would be the most careful, and when he is barely even part of the Penn State staff, there's no national championships, He's he is not the defensive coordinator, the second mile doesn't exist. And so here he is, <laughs> a brand-new coach, a brand-new uh, inexperienced pedophile. He picks up a hitchhiker, offers him marijuana and alcohol, neither of which anyone has ever seen Jerry Sadowski take in any part of his life ever brings him back to Penn state, rapes him in the Penn state bathroom. Why there, who the hell knows. Um, and then in the settlement documents, which I've seen, this has not been made public because it's so cockamamie, even CNN and Sarah Gann didn't think that this would pass a smell test. Uh, The story in the settlement documents is that this guy Randy Tice is his name, a total fraud. Randy Tice, while Sandusky is from is is assaulting him from behind, he hits him in the face and knocks out Sandusky's teeth. This is the story. Now there's
1: there's no evidence. Penn State gave this guy money, right? This like not a lot, three
0: hundred thousand dollars. I mean the. But it gets even better. It gets even better, John. So not only is there no record that Jerry Sadowski ever had massive dental injury, Franco Harris was on that team, by the way. And I've talked to him, you know, it's laughable that the team wouldn't, everyone on the team wouldn't know that that Jerry Sadowski had his teeth knocked out, right? If you ever looked at Jerry Sadowski's teeth, it's clear he's never had major dental surgery. Mm -hmm. He's got terrible teeth. But here's the best part. We now believe we know where that story came from because Randy Tice is a big Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And on his Facebook, in fact, with his money he got from Penn State, he bought a Pittsburgh Steeler Corvette. Uh, uh, and, so, um, so, and on his Facebook page, there's a lithograph of, a, of Jack Lambert from Super Bowl X where the Steelers played the Cowboys. And I'm telling you, John, this sounds crazy, but I believe it with every fiber of my being. In the lithograph, there's two parts of the lithograph. There's the one part of the lithograph that's kind of in the corner where Lambert is tackling Preston Pearson, a Dallas Cowboy running back, in the exact same position that Tice claims to have been in when Sadusky was raping him in the, in the shower. But then here's the best part. The biggest part of the lithograph is Jack Lambert close up. And if you know anything about Jack Lambert, what's the number one thing people know about him? No teeth. No teeth. No teeth. He had stolen his story of abuse by Jerry Sandusky from a lithograph of Super Bowl X and posted it on his Facebook page.
1: That's Maybe, the level
0: of fraud here. Yeah,
1: he Maybe without even realizing that he was doing it. But that's possible. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Anyway. Oh, God. So, yeah, to I guess to, to dig into the – I don't want to call it a documentary. I I don't, I don't know what you would call it, this propaganda piece that that ESPN did.
0: Let's let's well, no what
1: I call it is the Protect
0: Our Narrative movie. Okay. I mean Protect- we, it's 10 years since we created this narrative. If we feel it feels like it needs some shoring up, so we're just going to revisit the whole thing and and do no new report. I mean it's it's astonishing how little new there was in this. The best way I can describe it John is you know, I did my own documentary film back when I thought Jerry was guilty in uh, on the one-year anniversary. So nine, basically nine years ago. Nine years ago, I did a documentary film almost exactly the same length. Uh, you can find it for free on YouTube. It's called The Framing of Joe Paterno. And um, there is more new information compared to November 2011 in that film than there was in... ESPN, which has unlimited resources, mm-hmm. uh, in, in their story, ten years later, and, and the most glaring example of that here, John, even I, it, it's so obvious it didn't even occur to me. How insane is it that there's not a mention of victim number two, the boy in the shower in the Mike McQuarrie episode? There's yeah. not even a mention.
1: Now, well, they, they, they mentioned they they mentioned the the shower incident. But, right. m- yeah, McQuarrie was not interviewed. Um, there, yeah, there was no mention of victim number two being non-existent. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't, didn't touch that. I
0: actually, correct me if I'm wrong, I actually think they either bank on, or maybe they're, I, I, I don't think they're stupid enough to believe this themselves, but they use victim number one, Aaron Fisher, and I guarantee you most people watching think, oh, that must be the kid that was in the shower with Mike McQuarrie. Maybe they probably think that when that's not even remotely close. I mean, to to that. I mean, Aaron Fisher was, I think, in my opinion, based upon my uh, analysis of the dates, he was like uh, five or six years old when the Mike McQuarrie episode occurred. The real shower, uh, uh, quote unquote, victim is a guy by the name of Alan Myers, who was almost fourteen years old at that time. How do you not even address? Who was in the shower? And, and your, por- your point about McQueery not being interviewed is amazing. According to John Barr's own tweets, McQueery himself refused to be interviewed. Now, to me, <laughs> does, does that not show a, a consciousness of, of uh, lack of a better word, guilt? Because mm-hmm. you you, you got to know, first of all, this is a story that most people consider you to be a hero mm-hmm. on. And, and two, got to know ESPN is gonna be super soft on you. What, what are you worried about? Well, I mean, in, in the non-ESPN world, a couple of years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a, a book in which he documented my work, that Mike McQuery got the date of the episode wrong, not once, but twice, catastrophically wrong. And that he waited six weeks to actually report this, not a couple hours after mm-hmm. getting up the next morning, which is a completely different narrative what was his, was he afraid he might be asked about that? I don't know.
1: Well, but, do you think ESPN even knows about, well, I mean, they should know about it, but do you think they would even do the research to know that the second date is even, No, is even but it doesn't matter. I agree with you that it's dubious
0: that he is the John Barr would have even gone there. Um, but it's, it's all about what's in McQuarrie's mind, right? In, in, in his mind, does he have something to be concerned about? Um, but there's other reasons he might not have uh, spoken. Sarah Ganim, interestingly, also did not agree to do an interview, which is fascinating because right now she's in the middle of a massive scandal that no one is bothering to talk about. You know, in November of last year, she introduced a brand new Sandusky podcast, which claims to tell the story of of, uh, of someone who died because of their Sandusky abuse, the first such death in her words. Uh, and and that was put out on on the 10th anniversary of this, Uh, story November the trailer
1: yeah the trailer was released to the podcast yeah
0: right so she puts that out it was like 20 minutes so it's kind of like episode number one and and she does that last year last November we're now in April the first episode of the second episode whatever you want to call it has still never been released I had a media reporter breathing down her neck she refused any responses and the Pen Live people. It's important to point out this podcast by Sarah Gannam, It's not just her on her own. This is being backed by Patriot News, her newspaper where she won the Pulitzer Prize for this story. The Pulitzer organization itself, Metal Art Media, which is currently run by the guy who was running ESPN at the time when the scandal happened. These are big heavy hitters, and and they uh, they told the Penn Live people told the media reporter that they that the podcast would be released in March this was in February when they were uh, getting bombarded by questions from a mainstream news outlet they said well it'll be out in March we're now late April still no sign of it it mm-hmm. ain't coming out I mean and this came out with massive fanfare a lots of you know news coverage just to just describing this person as a Sandusky victim who had, Killed himself in an overdose back in 2018. When there is not a shred, not even a shred, of evidence, he even ever described himself as, as a Dusky accuser. Never testified. Never got Clinton uh, filed a claim. Got a settlement. There's no, there's no deathbed diary or journal or there's there's nothing. Is in fact the, the nothing but the family uh, and the mom and the brother and including uh, the the kid himself. Uh, uh, praising Jerry Sandusky publicly, uh, uh, euphorically, on, on numerous occasions. It's just, mm-hmm. and, and it's my understanding that a lawyer uh, sent Sarah Gannam and, and those who were back in this podcast a cease and desist notice, and they must have taken it very seriously. My guess is that somebody with a clue looked at what she was trying to do and said, Wait, this is this, we can't do this. There's, 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 we're, no somebody. There, there, I mean, there's literally nothing. There, I mean, and, and let's be clear, the overdose occurred in 2018. Jerry Sandusky was in prison for seven mm-hmm. years at that point, or so almost seven years. Uh, I mean, it's just the whole thing is preposterous. And yet, Sarah Ganham is still considered a journalistic heroine, even though she's no longer at CNN. She's out of the business. She's doing podcasts that, that blow up, uh, implode on, on liftoff, and, on her, and can you imagine, John? I mean, this is the analogy that I use. Can you imagine if ten years after Watergate, Woodward and Bernstein had put out another book about about Watergate, well after Nixon's resignation, and uh, and the book was based upon their theory that Nixon had killed JFK himself, and uh, and and uh, the publisher was forced to to pull the book because it was just such an absurd theory with, with nothing behind it. Would, would people, first of all, would this not have been a massive media story? And two, would people not have revisited everything about Watergate? <laughs> because because Woodard, Woodward and Bernstein would have been completely discredited. That's effectively on a smaller scale what we have here with Sarah again. Yeah.
1: And and you know you would think uh, if this were a a regular case that people would would question, well wow, if she was going to air this with zero evidence then what about the the other st- stuff that she that she published exactly. back when the Sandusky scandal broke? Did she did she look into any of that or, or where did that even come from? But that doesn't yeah. uh it doesn't come up. But so there was only one at least I only noticed one Sandusky victim lawyer that was interviewed uh, i think it was was it larry uh, what was it? i don't klein? remember his name Thomas it, it wasn't uh wasn't shubin it, I, I was surprised klein, not to I, see it, shubin interviewed
0: right well, yeah <laughs> he's in hiding too i think it was klein who you're talking about
1: yeah yeah klein
0: and and so, of course um it was very important that espn uh let the audience know exactly how many millions of dollars his law firm made from this case oops oh that na- that didn't actually happen And they they also didn't tell you how many millions Aaron Fisher made from this case. They portrayed Aaron Fisher, he's unemployed and, and he's just working on his, on his cars. Well, first of all, (laughs) he's unemployed, still getting a massive payment. uh, I don't know if it's every month or every year from, from Penn state. And those cars he has are all fancy sports cars paid for by the taxpayers of Penn state. I mean, it just blows my mind that we live in a world John where, um, you know, my wife and I watch Dateline all the time, and invariably, I mean, in Dateline, and uh, if if the if the if one of the people murdered is a spouse, right, a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy is enough to to provide a motive for murder, murdering your spouse, okay, right? Hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy—that's enough of a motive, to, in theory, to murder your spouse. Yet, it's insane. Yet. Yet yet here, in the media's mind, and I've experienced this personally where I've been censored from, from writing about this, you're not even allowed to mention that, oh, by the way, Aaron Fisher, in, in his case, got paid well over $8 million for his testimony, or that these lawyers, Klein, Shubin, a couple of the other big ones, they made many millions of dollars in commissions, from this. And by the way, I don't even know if you know this. And this wasn't in the piece, and I don't know how relevant or irrelevant this is. But I'll tell you what: if it happened in reverse, it would be seen as relevant. Aaron Fisher's lawyer just killed himself in perfect health, and um, and no apparent financial problems, no apparently health, apparent health issues. He just murdered himself, committed wow. suicide, unequivocally. I'm not making this up. Uh, uh, McLaughlin is his name. Uh, and, and he, he, he only represented
1: up, Fisher? He didn't represent any of the other Well no, no, he
0: represented a, several of the others. He and mm. he and his um, partner, Lock, Michael Bonning. Um, the Lockhaven
1: Five? Did he represent all of them? I, I no,
0: think, I, I think he did represent at least another member of the Lockhaven mm. Five. Um, so, I mean, Slade McLaughlin is his name, and, and he killed himself. Now, I have no idea why, I, but I do mm. know that he represented several frauds in this case. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> And I don't know whether that, that had anything to do with why he killed himself, but I, I, I just think it's amazing we're not allowed to mention this. And it's even more amazing we're not allowed to mention how many millions of dollars. Millions. That's what made this case, one of the things that made a case very unique. Millions of dollars. And, and many of these people got it anonymously. See, that's the other part of this that people don't fully understand. Yeah, we know most people or a lot of people know Aaron Fisher's name. Not, there's not one other Sandusky accuser that the average person has any chance of naming. Not one. Because the news media created this rule that, well, we're not going to use their name. Even though their name is public record, there's nothing remotely illegal or, or irresponsible about using their names. These were And they were, all grown,
1: they were all grown men at the time. Right. They were all over grown, 18. All, right? all of
0: them were adult men. Ironically enough, the only one whose name we know was the youngest one. Aaron Fisher, mm-hmm. all these other guys were older. They were clearly adults that, um, you know, most from bad life, lives, wrecked homes, unemployment, drug use, uh, divorces. I mean, and, and and we're not allowed to talk about the fact that, oh, by the way, that mo- almost all of them got many millions of dollars from this. And And, and so how Klein has any... Uh, credibility here is, is beyond me. I mean, or, or any of the lawyers here. That they, they, I mean, when when the free report came out, there were numerous firsthand reports that in the back of the room, the the plaintiffs' lawyers were literally high fiving, high fiving, because they knew that that Penn State was now going to be forced to open the bank uh, and pay hun, you know well over a hundred million dollars, which is what they did well over $130 million. There's different interpretations of the numbers, but the direct yeah. payments to the accusers of Jerry Sandusky. It's it's such, a,
1: it's such a crazy thing. Just to talk about the free report for a minute there, because it, it kind of brought back the, the memories and, and really cemented what was happening there. Penn state, essentially you're talking about, you always talk about upside down incentives because they had fired Joe Paterno um, because they, there was this rush to judgment they essentially had to, to prove that there was you know some sort of cover-up or conspiracy to justify their actions, and in so doing, they were, you know, pretty much I, I don't know if they knew how much they would end up paying out. That's, that's debatable. There was that article written around the time, I think by the New York Times that it could be up to 100 million, but I guess, I guess they were okay with that as long as it justified their decision to fire you know an, an iconic head coach. John, what you just said there is so important.
0: It might be the most important thing for people to understand the dynamics of the case. And yeah, I talk about these upside down incentives because they drive everything. The people that hired Louis Free needed the school to look bad In all this, because it wasn't them who were going to look bad. It was Joe Paterno and the administrators who they had gotten rid of. And so what happened here was, here's the short version. The board of trustees at Penn State used state money, not their money, state money, free money in their minds. They used free money to blame people who were innocent to get them off the hook. For having crapped their pants in the middle of panic, that's what happened here. And um, you know, I've obviously thought a lot about this in ten years, and I, I haven't had the <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't told Franco uh, Harris, who I've become very close with, this, but um, because I think it would break his heart. But I actually think that if there had been no pushback against the treatment of Joe Paterno. And let's be clear, Franco Harris led that. I mean, at the very beginning, it was only Franco Harris, of anybody of great stature, who was willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. And, you know, I mean, he he did a Tiananmen Square reenactment with a a bus holding Board of Trustees members, one of the greatest (laughs) pictures I've ever seen. I mean, Franco is amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because Franco stood up for Joe at I believe that it put the board in a bit of a bind. And so I think there's a scenario here where if that doesn't happen, Joe doesn't get destroyed by the free report. And by now he's somewhat exonerated because no one is incentivized to destroy him, but, but you're not you're not following me here. So, I'm I'm, I'm
1: so following. It's just it's one of those b- bizarre upside down um, right. scenarios that yeah right. So so just if you follow it through.
0: So if if there's no blowback on the board for what, how they treated Joe, there's no imperative to destroy Joe. Mm-hmm. So um and and I it's kind of like a karate move you know where your own force is used against you <laughs> and i i think that's kind of what happened to us was that the people and i was one of those fighting at the beginning for joe paterno because i thought Jerry Sandusky was mostly guilty if not totally guilty um i actually think that had we done nothing we'd be in a better position today although although we wouldn't know the truth so there's mm-hmm. that i mean uh and and the truth in this case really does set you free because I know a lot of people, I mean, John, I can't tell you how many notes I get from total strangers all over the world. People who have listened to, uh, listened to with the benefit of hindsight and they thank me, not just, you know, for the incredibly insane work that we put in and how good the podcast is. The thing that they thank me most for is it's so such a relief to know that this didn't really happen, that, that I now know the truth of a story that made no sense to me, mm-hmm. that, that uh, it's almost like I, I've i taken, and not just me, but, I mean, Mike Agavino or Executive Bruce or Liz Abid, my co-host, we, we put took all these jumbled puzzle pieces that, that the media put together in this nonsensical shape. And, and you know, most of the public bought it because most of the public is morons, but there was a good portion of the public that looked at that, Puzzle and went. What? Really? That doesn't make any sense. And we made it made sense. And I
1: I think that has given a lot of people peace. Yeah, and I, I think uh, just to talk about it a little bit more. That I mean, the layout for the way that you guys did the podcast. I think with with bringing in Liz Liz Habib, who. I mean, from the beginning, it seems like, you know, she kind of was on the side of, you know, being a, a University of Pittsburgh alum, very skeptical of, uh, of of the work that you'd put in and pushing back, asking questions. But I think a- asking those difficult questions, um, you know, at times slowed you down and, you know, kind of helps the listener to catch up because, there, I mean, you, you've been – embedded in this for, for so long that I think it's very easy just to just start, you know, listing off things and, uh, and going down that road. And with Liz being able to step in and saying, wait, John, hold up a second. Let's backtrack there. What the hell are you talking about? I I think it, I think it really was the best way to present it for sure.
0: Liz is great. And Liz, uh, Liz and I have quite a history. I mean, we, we, we go back over 30 years. we, anchored a, a news, a television newscast together in Steubenville, Ohio, Wheeling, West Virginia. And she, until fairly recently, was the, the main sports anchor at the, the Fox affiliate here in Los Angeles. And she, when the story broke, bought into it hook, line, and sinker like everyone else in the media did. She now actually teaches uh, sports journalism at, at the very prestigious Newhouse School at the University of Syracuse. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better co-host and, uh, I, and, there's no question. Well, well, it does. It, we, we do get sidetracked from time to time, uh, which sometimes is entertaining because we go after each other pretty good at times. Uh, I think uh, in the, in the bigger picture, it absolutely uh, helps the listener go through this incredible journey.
1: Yeah. I just want to, we're, we're running out of time here, but just want to plug again for people to listen to that podcast. If you don't, I mean, you might be intimidated by the number of episodes, but you shouldn't be because, um, people listen to, you know, podcast series all the time. You can listen to a podcast series in a week if you, uh, you know, have, have a type of job or, you know, something where you can do that. So I, I really highly recommend people do that at the very least listen to that Graham Spanier interview. Um, the, uh, I always forget Jerry Sandusky's adopted son's name. What, what's his name? Um, EJ. 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 Sandusky and, 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 and Gary. Clear,
0: and to be clear, the 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 full unedited interviews are are not actually in the podcast, although some of them are. Um, you know, the, the, uh, Spanier and EJ pretty much are. Uh, but if you want the interviews themselves, and and we talked to, uh, well over a dozen key people in this case, many of whom have never talked before. I mean, members of the Penn State Board of Trustees, Bruce Heim, who founded the Second Mile Charity, uh, a great interview with Franco Harris, who confronted Mike Mm -hmm. McQuarrie at Joe Paterno's uh, funeral. Um, You know, all sorts of people that are incredibly close to this case. You can find that at our website, uh, which is framingpaterno.com. It's www.framingpaterno.com. And the podcast itself, which you can find on iTunes and Spotify, everywhere else is with the benefit of hindsight.
1: All right. Well, John Ziegler, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, talking about this important topic.
0: Thank you, John. And uh, always good to talk to you. And and thanks so much for caring about the truth.
1: Hey, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. Uh, Before I send you on your merry way to the the next podcast or, or the next thing, you got a handle on your to-do list. Um, before you go, let me just encourage you, please, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, or if you just started listening to it and you really appreciate the work that we put in here at Lions of Liberty, please consider supporting us. You know, I'm not one who likes to to beg for money, and I'm not begging for money. Uh, I'm just making it uh, making it known that myself and Mark and Brian, we do put a lot of work into this show. And we do have a, a lot of patrons, a lot of supporters already, some who've supported us since the very beginning, which is remarkable, amazing, and we are so thankful for that. But for us to really take this show and what we are trying to do here at Lines of Liberty to the next level, um, we need more people that are supporting us, that are backing us, that have our back um, both uh, figuratively and also Financially, so please consider if you haven't already, and you like what we're doing, joining and supporting us on Patreon or on Locals. Uh, you can join on Patreon by going to Patreon.com/LionsOfLiberty or on Locals by going to LionsOfLiberty.Locals.com. You're going to get access to early content, early releases. Um, Many of our interviews, you can watch live um, as they occur, either through a unlisted YouTube link or just in our Facebook pride, if you're a Facebook person. So please do uh, consider joining for either as little as $5 a month, or you can go all the way up to some higher levels where you actually get influence over the show. You get private calls with us and things like that. But every level also does get a discount in Art Lions Liberty Store which you can find and you can you can look at all the, the great t-shirts and, and things we have there at lionsliberty.store. So thank you so much for all the support over the years. And we look forward to seeing you in the pride. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.